Well, it's Mother's Day. Yeah, in case y'all didn't know. Being a mom, you know, it's one of the most amazing things in creation, uh, being a mom. Being a dad's pretty good. I mean, it's not like being a dad's chopped liver or anything like that, but, you know, being a dad's pretty pretty big deal. Uh, but uh, no dad has ever had a, a human being grow inside their body. So that's kind of different. The Bible gives us a lot of examples of, of godly women, of, of great moms uh, in particular. Uh, Jochebed was uh, the mother of, of Moses. She was also the mother of uh, Aaron, Aaron and Miriam. Uh, I'm going to read about her in a minute. Uh, you know the story. She put, her, she put Moses in a basket and put him in the river uh, to save his life. Um, she made a huge sacrifice. You know, she took a risk, uh, but she was willing to risk in order to try and provide uh, life uh, for her, her son. I, I, I believe that women who sacrifice to give life to their children are heroes. Uh, I think they're courageous. I think they're amazing. Uh, Hannah is another... Uh, mom in Scripture who sacrificed. Jochebed gave her child basically to Pharaoh uh, to spare his life. Uh, Hannah gave her child to God, and uh, she was barren. She prayed. This was her prayer. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Uh, pretty, pretty amazing. So I want to read from Exodus uh, chapter 1 uh, a little bit of the story of Moses' birth. This is from Exodus 1 beginning at verse 15. We'll go up through chapter 2 verse 10. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shepra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. The king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. <laughs> so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, 
She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Maybe the only mom in history who got paid to nurse her own child. There'll be a union started next week, I'm sure. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Amazing story, unbelievable, really just an incredible story of of the lengths that a woman would go to uh, to save the life of her son of her child. Um, so th- this is Mother's Day, and, and I want us to talk a, a little bit about moms, uh, and, then, um, and then I have something else I want us to talk about as well. So I want to talk a little bit, uh, just kind of get us going, get us started, and we'll talk a little bit about my mother. Um, now, many of you feel like you know my mom because you've heard stories. Um, she birthed six children, My mom told her doctor when her doctor asked her once during pregnancy if she was experiencing morning sickness, if she ever experienced morning sickness, my mom said, every day of my life, (laughs) except when I'm pregnant. My mom loved being pregnant. Now, I'm not saying that she loved giving birth. She loved being pregnant because it was the only time that she felt good. She felt sick the rest of the rest of the time. So that explains why she had six children. Now, I was number four out of the six. And after the third child was born, my mom and dad decided to build their dream house. My dad had, you know, saved up some money, and uh, you know, they had had three children in four years. So you know, it was a factory, and. <laughs> it was. And so they decided it was time to build their dream house. They lived in this little cracker box house that they rented. And so they're going to buy some land and build their dream house. Well, while they're building this dream house, it's about halfway done. My mom realizes that she's pregnant with me, number four. She does not tell my dad for six months. I don't know. Don't even ask me how that's possible. I don't know. My dad, maybe his focus was on building the house, but for six months, he didn't know that she was pregnant with me because they were building their dream house, and it was a three-bedroom house, and they already had three children, and so now they were going to have four children, and this, this house, it had a master suite, y'all. 
They'd never had a master suite. They had a master suite. And then a little Jack and Jill type, you know, for the kids. My brother was going to have a room to himself. My two sisters were going to share a room, and my mom and dad were going to have the master suite. Not only did they have four children in that house of their dreams, they had numbers five and six in that house. And so guess what happened to the master suite? It became the boys' dorm. Four boys in the master suite. Mom and dad over across the hall next door to the girls. But that's what you do. That's what you do for your kids. My mom went into labor during a football game once, during the third quarter of the football game. She was pregnant with my sister, Jeannie. She did not tell my, mom, my dad that she was in labor because she knew he wanted to see the end of the game. So she waited until the game ended and all the guests left and then told my, mom, my dad, ah, we probably should go to the hospital now. I've been in labor for a couple hours. Uh, my mom made things better by her presence. She, she had really a, a ministry of presence. And when she came into a room, she brought peace with her, which was kind of nice because my dad didn't always bring peace. Uh, my, Brad, my dad was a little volatile at times. And so my mom had a way of moving in and just calming the storm. Uh, she had a way of touching that brought healing. I, I can remember many times my mom just had a way of walking into a room where things felt you know, troublesome or, or anxious or even angry. And my mom could walk into the room and just touch you on the shoulder and everything was good. Her hand on your shoulder brought healing. My mom, this is kind of, gives you a great picture into the difference between my mom and my dad. Uh, first baseball game of my senior year, I struck out three times. And my dad was so exasperated. You know, he had such high hopes for senior year and first game, three strikeouts. My dad was exasperated. You know what my mom did? She took me to the eye doctor. <laughs> she did. She just made the appointment. She didn't even ask me. She made the appointment. And she said, hey, we're going to the eye doctor. Maybe glasses will help. <laughs> she also borrowed my math book. Between fourth and fifth grade, the summer between fourth and fifth grade, she borrowed my math book so I could practice math all summer. How thoughtful. <laughs> when I was in college and I was studying, I, I was struggling with macroeconomics. I, doesn't everyone, everyone struggle with macroeconomics? I was struggling with macroeconomics. And it was moving towards, we were getting close to final exam time. You know what my mom did? She took my textbook. She read my textbook. She outlined my textbook and made notes on my textbook and tried to teach me the class. Who does that? Moms. Moms do that. My mom was not a great cook. At least once a, once a week, we had fish sticks and tater tots right out of the freezer, served straight out of the oven. Uh, she, she wasn't into decorating. 
really? Uh, she's probably never watched HGTV. <laughs> but she raised us on love and prayer. She raised us on love and prayer. Now, my wife, on the other hand, is a great cook and has seen every episode of HGTV <laughs> that's ever, ever been made. She's, a, she's an incredible decorator. Um, she's very smart, uh, one of the smartest people I know. She has high value for education. Uh, truth be told, she is the reason that I have a doctorate. <laughs> um, she was disappointed with her college choice. You know, if, if we're honest, she wanted to go to a different school, which will go unnamed. <laughs> we grew up in Alabama. She wanted to go to a different school. She was disappointed in her college choice, and she committed from the day that we married that our children would go to their dream school and that she would do whatever it took to make that happen. She did, and they did, because that's what moms do. They make sacrifices for their children. We, we went to the Winston Churchill War Museum a few years ago in London, and as we're touring, there's a plaque in that museum that says, Mr. Churchill would not have accomplished nearly as much as he did were it not for the frank opinions of his wife, Clementine. It's the only thing we took a picture of in the whole museum. <laughs> I have a feeling there's going to be a paraphrase of that on my tombstone. <laughs> and maybe some handprints. We have a deal in our home. If I die before her, if I precede my wife in death, uh, she will raise me from the dead. <laughs> if she dies before me, I am to get nowhere near her. I'm to leave her to go and be with Jesus. It's a great deal. She has a, a very uh, intimate relationship with Jesus. And there are followers of Jesus all over the globe who identify themselves as points of light because of a dream that, that God gave her in 1980. Amazing, amazing woman. I have one issue with her. She does not understand metaphors. You know, if you grew up in my house, you would hear things on a regular basis like, it's cold as a frog's toes. I mean, I don't even, I don't, I don't get that. It's, I'm, how about this? I'm wide awake as a butcher knife. So, to help her and to help any of you that struggle in that area, I'm going to give you, and this is not original, this is from a, a man named Brian Bilston, I'm going to give you how to avoid mixing your metaphors, okay? If you need this, I can ask me and I will send it to you. How to avoid mixing your metaphors. It's not rocket surgery. First, get all of your ducks on the same page. 
After all, you can't make an omelet without breaking stripe. Be sure to watch what you write with a fine-tuned comb. Check and recheck until the cows turn blue. It's as easy as falling off a piece of cake. Don't worry about opening up a whole hill of beans. You can burn that bridge when you come to it. If you follow where I'm coming from, concentrate. Keep your door closed and your enemies closer. Finally, don't take the moral high horse. If the metaphor fits, walk a mile in it. All right, so moms, parents in general, moms in specific, make sacrifices for for their children. They make sacrifices for their families because they're things that they want. They're things that they want for their children. They're things that they want uh, for their families. Uh, Jochebed did that. She made sacrifices because she wanted to provide a life uh, for Moses. There had been a decree put out by Pharaoh that all of the Hebrew children would be, uh, all the Hebrew male children would be killed. And she wanted her boy to live. And so she made a sacrifice by actually giving him away. Uh, Hannah made a sacrifice because she wanted a baby. She wanted to have a a baby so badly she was willing to say, this child, if you bless me with a child, I will give him to you all the days of his life. I want to share, I want to finish today by sharing with you I'm not your mother, and none of you were surprised by that. Um, But, you know, there is a sense in which, uh, spiritually speaking, that that Melissa and I uh, serve as uh, the father and mother of the house. And there are things that we want for you. And so I'm going to share some things uh, that we want for you uh, as we finish up today. Uh, Number one, we want you to know Jesus deeply. We want you to know Jesus deeply. We don't just want you to get your ticket punched and, and, you know, know that you're going to heaven. We don't just want you to you know, pray a sinner's prayer and, and, and be forgiven and, and know that you're going to heaven when you die. We want you to know Jesus deeply. We want you to know what he thinks about things. We want you to know what he thinks about you. We want you to know how he feels about you. We want you to walk so close with him that at times you can feel Feel his breath on your neck. I want you to follow Jesus closely. There's a passage of Scripture that's just, it's it's almost haunting to me in the story, in the Gospel of Luke, in the story of Jesus' arrest that says, Peter followed at a distance. Jesus has been arrested. They're taking him off uh, to be tried. And the disciples scatter. And then it says, but 
Peter followed at a distance. And, and what happens right after he follows at a distance is he denies Jesus three times. This one who had been so close, one of the closest to Jesus, when he allows distance to get between he and Jesus, he stumbles. And we want you to follow him closely, not just to see him from a distance, not just to know about him, not just to think of him occasionally, but for every breath that you draw in life to recognize that it's given to you by him to follow closely, to to love him and know him deeply, to follow him closely. And third, I, I want you to trust him completely. We want you to trust Jesus completely because, guess what? Things aren't always gonna go well. You're not always gonna get what you want. There'll be days, sometimes weeks, maybe seasons where life is difficult. And it's easy to praise him when all is well. It's easy to praise him when things are going the way you want it to go and you feel like I'm living this life of favor. God is so good. But when the bottom falls out and you go into that dark night of the soul and everything that you've ever believed is challenged, can you trust him? Will you trust him when life is hard? So I want you to know him deeply. I want you to follow him closely. I want you to trust him completely. I want you to share him generously. Share him generously. This thing, this life that he has given to us, that he has breathed into us. It's the most precious gift, and it's meant to be shared. The the night that I gave my life to Jesus as an 18-year-old college student, my pastor, uh, he led me to Jesus uh, in the prayer chapel of our little Methodist church in North Alabama. And then he sent me home. It was about 11 o'clock, maybe 11.30 at night. And he, the last thing he said as I got ready to leave, he looked at me and he said, before you go to bed tonight, you need to tell someone about the decision that you made. It's 11.30. Drove home. I walked in my parents' room. Now you got to understand, <laughs> I'm the child that, you know, I told you all the good things about my mom. She also left me in the grocery store when I was four. She, <laughs> she tried to drive off in, in the car that I was trying to get into uh, when I was six. She tried to give me away when I was 14. So I, you know, I maybe, I don't know, maybe I wasn't her favorite. I just, you know, but. I caused them so much grief as a teenager. And I walked into their bedroom that night at about 11.45, woke them up, and I said, Mom, Dad, I've been a horrible son. 
night I gave my life to Jesus. And everything's going to be different from now on. Then I drove across town. I woke up my grandparents, and I told them the same thing. And then I drove down the street, and I woke up my aunt, my uncle, and my three cousins, and I told them the same thing. And then I came back to my house, and I woke up my two younger brothers, and I said, now, my view, you know, a, lot of, a lot of men struggle in life because they have a father wound. My brother John will tell you clearly, quickly, I do not have a father wound. I have a brother wound. <laughs> I walked into their bedroom, and I woke the two of them up, John and Bill. John's five years younger than me. Bill's seven years younger than me, seven and a half. And I said, I've been a horrible brother. But tonight I gave my life to Jesus, and everything's going to be different from now on. And then, unexpectedly, Hadn't happened with any of the other people, but with them, all of a sudden, I had this urge to say, and I'm just curious if either of you would be interested in giving your life to Jesus. My brother Bill looked at me and said, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. And he gave his life to Jesus that night, and he's never turned back. My brother John looked at me and said, you've got to be kidding You think that you can do all the things that you've done to me, basically ruin my life, and then just walk in here one night and say, Jesus, and it's all better. Not a chance. He said, this isn't real. It's not going to last. And when you go back to being the same old sorry person you've always been, I'll be watching. I said, okay. Eight weeks later, he knocked on my door. I opened the door, checked him for weapons. <clears throat> and he said, I've watched you. I've waited for you to mess up. And all I can say, the only explanation I have, is that God must have done something. And so last night, I knelt at my bed, and I asked him to do for me what he had done for you. My brother John is a pastor now in Huntsville, Alabama, and loves Jesus with everything he's got. He's still working on me. Now, he, he loves me. We actually, he came and spent the night with us Friday night. We had a, just a great time sharing together and just talking about the kingdom. So I say all that to say, God gave you this treasure to share to be generous with. You know, there's a, there is a, a rule, it's, there's a law in the kingdom about sowing and reaping. And if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. And this is true of finances, but it's true of love. It's true of kindness. It's true of sharing the gospel. We do not want to be stingy, y'all. We do not want to be clutchers. We want to be givers. 
We want to share Jesus generously. We want to love him and know him deeply. We want to follow him closely. We want to trust him completely, and we want to share him generously. If we do those four things, life will be different. It won't always be perfect, and it won't always be easy, but it will be different, and it will be different in an incredibly good way. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that by your spirit, you, you would speak into the minds and hearts of your people what you want them to hear, what you want them to know, which, what you want them to walk away with today. I thank you that, that you are able to speak and, and to clarify, make things understandable. And so I pray that you would take not just the words, but take the feelings as well, the feelings behind the words, and pierce the hearts of your people so that they will leave here changed, never the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our teams to come and get in place. We want to have a time of ministry uh, as we close today. And, and I want to say this as we move into that time. Um, I recognize, and, and we understand, we, we actually talked before the service with, with the prayer teams. Um, Mother's Day can be an incredibly joyful day. And, and for a lot of you, this is it's going to be a great day. For a lot of you, it may be one of your favorite days of the year. Uh, but it's not true across the board. It, it also can be an incredibly difficult day. Uh, for some, Mother's Day throughout your life has been difficult. And, and we want to pray for you that, that today would be a Mother's Day that would change that or, or at least begin to change that for you. Uh, for some of you, this year in particular, Mother's Day is difficult. Uh, we have a number of people in our congregation who have lost moms this year. And, uh, and, and it's not just this year, but in the year, over the years, if you've, if you've lost a mom to death, or, or even to estrangement, if you've lost relationship with your mom, Mother's Day could be the hardest day of the year. And, and I pray that you would not pull away and isolate or separate yourself because of that pain, but that you, you would allow, make yourself vulnerable and allow one of our teams to pray for you. It could be that they would touch your shoulder and it would bring healing. And you need that today. Uh, there, there are others here today who, um, young couples who have tried uh, unsuccessfully to conceive. And, and you're struggling with that. And, and Mother's Day is a day that 
doesn't necessarily bring you hope. And if that's you, we, we would love to pray for you. Love to pray for you. And, uh, and pray that God would, would bless you and bring peace in your heart. That his will would be done in your life. So if that's you, we, we would love to pray for you. So if you have any other thing, any other needs or, or things that you want prayer for, we'd love to pray for those as well. So I want to invite you uh, to come, to not be bashful, to not isolate, but to come and let these people love you and pray for you. Okay? Let's stand together. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way here. Bring cleansing. Bring healing. Bring life. In Jesus' name.
teams will stick around and pray for people for as long as there are people that want prayer. Uh, I do pray for families that are together today, that you'll have a blessed day. Treat your moms well. Uh, just try to be nice to her. You know, uh, We appreciate our moms. I hope that uh, many of you were got flowers this morning and uh, I hope that you will walk through this Mother's Day knowing uh, how God feels about you. If you could ask one question in all of your life that would change your perspective on life itself, it would be, God, what do you, what do you think of me? If you've never done that, give it a shot. You will be surprised at what he says in a good way. And, and it could very well change your life forever. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, you can go on about your day and uh, celebrate with your families. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, I pray as we leave here today that we would walk in an awareness of your presence that we would not follow at a distance we would we would get as close to you as we possibly can we would lean into you in everything look for you in everything listen to you about everything seek to honor you in all things. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for living again so that we can as well. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.